Oh my gosh, do I have a good episode for you today. Laura Alden Cam is a medical intuitive. She's an author. She's a speaker. She is fascinating. She has a great story about how she died and came back. And she talks about what happened, that whole entire experience during while she was dead, essentially. It happened many years ago. She is 68. It happened when she was 26. She's lived quite a life since then. And one of the things I love about the story, because she is living her most authentic self in her purpose that she was meant to do in her time here. I fully believe that. And so does she. But she wouldn't have found it if she didn't have that near-death experience. Yet, the near-death experience didn't teach her it immediately. I think often when we hear these stories, and maybe it's true for some, but you think, oh my gosh, she died, she came back, and she knew exactly what she's supposed to do. And that's not true with Laura. Laura had to figure it out. And that's one of the things that I think you can relate to and that you will love about her story, that she had to figure it out. She had to find her way. She had to do the trial and error. She had to do the jobs that she didn't, didn't, I mean, I think some of them made her happy, but in her heart of hearts, she knew that's not what she was meant to do. And she was in a marriage that wasn't allowing her to fully be herself, which happens to a lot of us. And when she finally decided, and she was 40, to leave that marriage, then she walked towards that which she came here for. And I think sometimes it's not until we say yes to the unknown and scary that we don't even know what the heck it is. But if we trust and believe that it's exactly what we're supposed to do, as long as we're following this gut feeling, and she, at the very end of the episode, she gives a little suggestion about how you can find out what that might be in terms of a direction for you if you're searching for what your gifts are and what your purpose uh, in the time you have left here. If you don't feel you found it yet, this episode can really help you. Uh, so I love that Laura had this kind of meandering path to what her gift, her true gift is, and how easy it became once she stepped fully into it. That's crazy. But she did give me a little summary, what I call a bio. And part of it I want to read because it's really powerful. She says, at 68, I'm still going strong, writing books, which is my passion and mission, teaching and speaking about our own inner power, wisdom, and unique system of intuition. Our ability to listen to our truest voice inside will always guide us to where we find joy, where we can be of service and accomplish our life's purpose-driven service. She has clients in 140 countries, and she has shared the stage with some very famous names, luminaries such as Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. If you don't know her, Google her. Fascinating woman. Naomi Judd. Pak Chopra, Carolyn Miss, and Dr. Wayne Dyer. Pretty cool. She also has spoken at numerous medical and spiritual conferences. She's taught integrative medical teams, energy medicine, and healing techniques. Uh, she's done that at premier hospitals and trained corporate teams in intuitive problem solving. And again, she didn't know she had all this for a long time. And look what she does now. And she, one of the things that's crazy, she says she doesn't even market herself. 
She doesn't have thousands and millions of followers on social media. When you are doing what you're here to do, it is easy. And we think it's so hard. And yet what you find is it becomes easy because that's what you're supposed to do. So listen in to the full story about Laura's near-death experience and what happened after and how her life unfolded and what she's doing today. It's a great interview. Hi, I'm Lori Wright, also known as Not Your Average Grandma. I created this podcast as a place for women in their second half of life to go to to receive inspiration. If you are at a place where you believe your best days are behind you, it is my hope one of these episodes will spark you to think differently and lead you to a new belief that your second half may actually be your best half. I want you to stop seeing your age as a limitation and start seeing it as your superpower. You have years of experience and value that the younger you never had. So it's time to lean into that and use it to fuel your future. No more letting age or circumstances hold you back from the pursuit of a more fulfilling and fun life. The happier we are, the better the world will be. So instead of settling for what you don't want, how about going after what you do want? Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Sparked Second Half. And today my guest is Laura Alden Cam. And I'm very excited. I've been excited to talk to her since I booked her and we had to reschedule. So she has some stories to tell. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here with you, Lori, and your audience. It's uh, I'm really excited to share with uh, all of you. Yes. I don't know how I came up with you, but uh, <laughs> and I just was so fascinated. I have had someone on the podcast before who had a near-death experience. She had a couple. And it's just such a fascinating First of all, I don't think it's something that you would want to have, but then when you have it, it's you're so glad you did, right? True, very true. It's nothing one should anticipate or look forward to, but afterward, it's a life changer forever and ever. It's a soul changer. It's a soul awakener. It changes everything, everything mm, about yeah. life and yourself. Yeah. yeah, and then there's the health aspect. I mean, you almost died so physically. Yeah. There's got to be a few issues, right? No, for me, well, there are a few issues, but I don't look at them as such. Oh, um, I ended up uh, partially blind in the left visual field. So when I look at your face, I only see half of it. When I look at my kid's face, I only see half. When I look at mountains, I only see half. When I can only really see three letters and three numbers at a time, when I looked at direct vision, and it's really hard to read peripherally. If you ever hold a book up over here and try and read it, it's really pretty much impossible. So it changed a lot of things, but it, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. I've been this way longer than I was full sighted. And I'll go into what happened in a moment, but it's to me, it's just like this place I project my mind through. It's mm. not black. It's not gray. It's not fuzzy. It's just gone. Absolutely gone. No sight, no light, no color, but it's like this portal. <laughs> yeah. You it's, know what I came up for me when you were sort of yeah. talking about it is you lost your human sight, but mm -hmm. you gained spiritual sight. Yeah. Like you can see things that you couldn't see before. And we think well, the human I, realm yeah. is the only thing, right? True, true. Yeah. And like probably you, Lori, and many of your followers and listeners, we're all born with that intuitive sense, our empathy, that felt sense, the knowing, even the seeing, the feeling, the tasting. This, I smell my grandmother's perfume. Where is that coming from? Those types of things. We're all born with an intuitive system. And some is more refined, some is allowed, some <laughs> we're not allowed to use it, and it tends to shut down. But mine really just splattered wide open, and it's been driving my work and my life, and the heavens have been driving it ever since I was 26 when I died. Can you share your age now? I'm 68. 
Yay. So you're like 60 years. No, you're 68. So let me do the math. I can do math. <laughs> so 42 years ago. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. have been doing this way longer with, with yeah. less vision and this yeah. insight that you didn't have, this intuitive ability that you probably had, but you just didn't use, right? Is that it how we want to approach it? it? Yeah. And really kind of shut it down. Like so many other people, especially I shut it down at 16 in my teenage years where I just, you know, was in the band and a majorette. I just wanted to be a high schooler. So I just kind of closed that door. But 10 years later, it got slammed back open really hard. Now, uh, I have a question because I have had an intuitive on before where she actually communicates with people who have passed. And Mm -hmm. there were things that there were different about her when she was little, that that was, there was a thing that she thought there was something wrong with her. Like she thought she was bad, like there were like evil spirits in her or something. So did you have this feeling that you actually shut down knowingly? Or is it something that, you know, you now know you had, but you, there were really no signs of it yet? Oh, there were plenty of signs when I was little. And I would just, my first experience, my first memory was out in the springtime. The lilac bush was blooming. It was beautiful. I grew up in the Midwest and I could see light coming from people. And I thought that was normal at five. And so, but one day I was kind of curious and I stood in front of this lilac bush and I said, okay, you're from God. I'm from God you have light, I have light, the willow tree has light, why do you look like that? And I look like this. That was my first memory. And then at the age of 10, I got really curious about who was right about God. My dad was a Presbyterian minister, but he was not the normal kind. And I'm so grateful for that. He had Jesus and Mary and Buddha and Kuan Yin and a a Japanese suit of armor in his office. I mean, he was so connected to Christ, the man and the healing power and grace that he emanated, but he was a very broad thinker. And so I was raised in that environment. So at 10, I wondered who was right about God. And I grew up in a small town where churches were literally catty corner or behind each other with an alley in between, and there were different denominations. And I couldn't figure out who was right. So I went to all of them, (laughs) you know, over a period of four years. And I sat in the back. And now I'm five, I'm almost six feet. And so at uh, that age, I was five, 10 and a half. So nobody thought I was a little kid at 10 to 14. So I just- You were that tall? I was that tall. I was five feet tall when I graduated kindergarten, for God's sake. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Five, 11, five, 10 and a half in sixth grade. Yeah. I'm not, I'm surprised you're not like six feet, six or something. It you just stopped, stopped growing. Yeah. Right at seventh grade, it, I grew about another half, another inch by eighth grade. Yeah. So five, 11 and a half. Yeah. You know, I can get away with a lot of things as a 10 and 12 year old at that height. People didn't think I was a little girl. And so I would go to the churches of safe towns. I just go to the churches and listen. I was thoroughly confused. Who had it right about God? And so I just realized I had to go inside. And so I did. And then I went to high school and, you know, band, majorette, choir, all those fun things. And so I just let that part of me sit to the rear for a little while. And then it really sat to the rear in college and such. And then I was married. And then I went back to school to be an architect because it's like with the lilac bush. I wanted to connect human beings with the power of nature in a seamless way. It was kind of like wanting to be both Margaret Mead, who was a brilliant anthropologist, ethnographer, and Frank Lloyd Wright. I wanted to somehow combine culture, nature, and humans in their living environment. So that was my goal and intention. And that got blown out of the water when I got sick. And I got sick very quickly. So when you were 26, what was the happening in your life at the time? Were you in school or were you I was working? Married, yeah. Okay. I was married. I was in school. My children were three and four at the time. My husband was working, my husband at the time, and he was working out of town. So it was a very busy life with kids in Montessori school and me in college going back for a rigorous time to be an architect. 
And it was Super Bowl Sunday and I was just ill. 11 days later, and in that 11 days, I became more ill and sick, throwing up like crazy, severe headaches, couldn't tolerate light. And I went to several doctors in the town that I lived in Indiana at the time, and they said I had the flu or a sinus infection, go home, it'll be better. Not so much. So I was smart enough to get to my parents' home in Ohio, and the kids came with me. Again, my husband's out of town working and we need insurance, so he kept working. And it took about 11 days from Super Bowl Sunday to when I died. And it's so incredibly beautiful. When what was heaven- that, though? What happened? Did you collapse? You said you were glad you were with your parents? No. No, I didn't collapse. I actually checked myself into the hospital because I knew something was wrong, seriously wrong. And at the time, they didn't have an MRI machine. Okay, so they thought I had the flu or a sinus infection. And one nurse even asked if I was pregnant. And, you know, no, (laughs) I wasn't. My eyes were literally bulging from their sockets. I couldn't tolerate any light whatsoever. I only knew it was daylight by this thin light that would come through a crack in the window blinds. And I'd watch it go across the room. And I knew that was morning to night. And that was it. And they didn't know what to do with me. And the day before, I died at night. And so were you in the hospital for these 11 days? You, you Super Bowl Sunday, you went to your mom's and dad's and then my parents. And then I checked myself into hospital about four days after the symptoms, about five days, actually, after the symptoms started. And so I was in the hospital for almost a week and they couldn't figure out what was going on. We ran lots of tests, but not the right test. Was your head hurting? Was oh. it in, like migraines? Yeah. It was a locomotive sitting on top of my head. It's indescribable pain. That is the only thing I can think of that gets sort of close to it. But I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about my courage and determination to keep moving because I wasn't on bed rest, believe it or not. I would swing my legs off the bed and let gravity take them to the floor hold on to the IV stand, swing myself against the wall, crawl across the wall to grab the door of the room, which was cantilever, thank goodness for that design, which would hurl me into the bathroom so I could use the restroom. And then I'd repeat the process back. And five, six doctors, some of which who were family friends, stood around me that afternoon They had no idea what was wrong with me. They didn't know what to do. And so that night, evidently, I don't remember this part, but evidently I started screaming, yelling to the nurse, I'm blind, I can't see. And before that, though, I was lying in bed and I would watch light start to emanate from my body, my legs, my arms, my hands, just little sections at a time, just as if I'm looking at the Northern Lights, Aurora Borealis, just lifting off. And I had no context for this. I had no reason to go, oh, that's my aura or that's my soul leaving. I had no context for this whatsoever. And then whatever light left me, that area of my body became extremely heavy. I couldn't hardly move it. And then the coolest thing, Lori, we never die alone. We never ever die alone. My father's secretary, Kate, who had passed years forward, started to come into the room, just almost like a statue at first, non-mobile, but then softening movement to where it's kind of slow, like you're looking at something slow motion on a movie theater. And then my brothers, my father's brothers came in, Wally and Daryl. There were three angels in the room, which was really interesting to me because I'm still this analytical mind, you know, I still want to be engineer architect. And I'm looking at this angel that I can, that's hovering near the bed in full angelness, if you will, no wings, just I knew it was an angel because of the, I guess the electricity of them and the color and the vibrancy. And it just felt what an angel felt like it just was but those really three clear. angels were different than your father's brothers and oh, your father oh, very much one of the angels was halfway through the ceiling and, and just floating 
their lower half was floating, but I could see through the ceiling to the upper part of the angel. So that was an interesting thing that when I reflect back on it years later, it's okay, that's where this sight, this spiritual start sight, this gift from spirit came into play because I could see through walls at that point. Mm. And I, I think that's, I don't know if it's true for everybody. I haven't talked to a lot of near-death experiencers that still have a, a real sense of sight like this. So I don't know if that's common or not, but that was my experience. And then it was later I drifted off and lost consciousness. I lost my perception of consciousness, and but evidently I was still awake enough to yell for a nurse. And into an ambulance I went. And then my next memory is looking into an ambulance, seeing an older woman and a nurse with this young woman on the gurney. The young woman's eyes were, eyelids were closed, but her eyes were protruding out of her sockets. I didn't recognize it at me. I felt great compassion for her. And And, 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 can I interrupt you for a second? Because when you had that experience with the angels and your dad's secretary, were you in the hospital then? Because you said you I then was in you... my hospital bed. Okay. Yeah. And so, why would you go on the ambulance? Or was this just what what you were experiencing wasn't like really happening? Were you actually being taken in the ambulance? When I evidently yelled to the nurse that I'm blind, I can't see. They wrapped me up, called an ambulance, and were transferring me to another hospital. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And because they obviously couldn't help me at this small town hospital. Got it. Okay. And I, I was going down fast. And yeah. so I watched these an older woman, the nurse, and this young woman on the gurney. And I didn't realize it was me until the nurse said, I'm losing her. I'm losing her. Laura, come back. Come back. I've lost her. Oh, I don't have chills all I over me. I didn't. I, yeah. It's, I still get chills. Mm-hmm. I still get chills. Like, oh, body chills. My whole being goes back there, not in a mm. scary way, but in in the way that we all have experiences that we truly embody. And yeah, I still am in awe yeah. when I'm alive. Two, I can function at the level that I can function. And yeah, and it's so re- funny because we think, you know, as humans, we're looking at this person who is having this experience and they're out of it their eyes are closed, they're unconscious, and we think they have no awareness. And here you have complete awareness of what's happening to you. That's what's so crazy. It is. It it truly is. And it truly is us because the, the spirit animates the soul of who we are and what we are. And then the soul embodies this self and we trip along through life and do our thing and do our best. And then when we leave, it's the soul that leaves. It goes back to the integration with spirit. And so that was me and my soul hanging out kind of like a cartoon. Here's the ambulance going 100 miles an hour because my husband was behind the ambulance. And he was traveling at 105 miles an hour, he said, trying to keep up with the ambulance. And so imagine a cartoon here I am, this soul, my head through the wall of the ambulance, because part most of me was outside. I was watching. My head was inside and I was outside. And then when the nurse said my name, that's when I realized that was my mom in there with me. So I was gone, no heartbeat, no respirations. And I decided to get out of there. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Phew, I just went up into what's called the tunnel. It is a tubular structure that takes us from this reality and dimension into heaven, into the other dimensions that from which we really come. And so there were other souls there with me. Some were zipping past me. Some were just like, where am I? What's going on? And did you ever see the movie soul? The, is that the Disney movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it it's so good. Ago. Love it. Yeah. That kind of reminded yeah. me of like the souls there. But yeah, I, I connected with my dad on the other side through a medium. And that's what she, he said through her is that it was this tubular thing that, and it went really fast. Yeah. 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 Like you're speeding 
you're at Mach 10, you know, or Mach 20. And I can still feel it. It's faster than anyone can possibly describe. Mach 20 is probably as much as I can describe it. (laughs) But then I just landed in light and blinding light, golden white light, like light and a golden ring or a bumper that you're, you're looking right at the spark of the sunlight on it. It's extremely bright. And and I was just surrounded by angels. I didn't meet any family. I didn't meet relatives at that point. I couldn't see anything but light, but I could hear harmonics. And I, it was like I was looking down first, and I saw my own light body. And then around me, they came into view. And there were quite a number of them. I couldn't even possibly count them. And then I had a myriad of different experiences, went to different places, Um was guided by different beings, was in a beautiful sacred forest, and there were souls walking amongst the trees, and the light was illuminating from the grass and the trees, just like I had seen from the lilac bush when I was five. And I wanted to go in, but I knew I wasn't allowed. It wasn't time for me to go in, into that forest and talk with these other souls that were in a very contemplative place. So there were lots of different experiences. And when I came back, the most poignant, there's so many poignant things. When I, right before I came back to life and woke up in neuro ICU, I felt the presence of Christ behind me. I didn't see him, but I felt it. And it was like feeling the, seeing the angels in my hospital room. I just knew it was angels. It was just really clear. It wasn't Aunt Mary. It was, an, these were angels. And I knew that energy of Christ, not from scripture per se, but from the energy that I had experienced as a child. When I had conversations with my dad, when I just sat in church and listened to people's prayers to him and to God, I, I just knew it was him. And so he had his hand on my shoulder And he said, Laura, you can stay, but I really need you to go back. Mm -hmm. And with that, I was, I woke up in neuro ICU Mm. and I had my vision back except for this left visual field, Mm. uh, which is damaged in the, in the right occipital lobe of my brain, because I had a twin in utero. When I was in my mother's womb, there was a twin there and it lodged in my head. Um, So there was a benign tumor, a hollow tube, which would have been the spinal canal and a cyst. And that's what caused all of this because I had the cyst removed in the back of the midline of my head about nine months prior to Super Bowl Sunday. And they didn't stitch it up right. And it was weeping. And that's what caused abscesses down through the midline of the brain through the hollow tube into the benign tumor, which then created abscesses throughout the right occipital lobe and the right hemisphere of my brain. That's And I had spinal meningitis on top of it. So that's what killed me. Mm-hmm. That's what killed me. And that's so that's you it. were a twin that wouldn't hadn't fully developed. You it, like the tw- your twin stopped developing. You didn't split that's correctly. Correct. Yeah. Right. How interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was very rare. And so after I woke up in neuro ICU, I got better for a couple of days and then I was going downhill again. And so I had to have surgery. And while the neurosurgeon, brilliant man, love him, he said I'd be out in about two and a half hours. And it took 10 and a half hours because the the abscesses had gone throughout the whole convolution of the right hemisphere of my brain, those little spaces in between the undulations of the neocortex. So that took a lot longer. And basically, I'm a miracle. And I think everybody who has an NDE is a miracle. But but then the brain got- surgery, you've got to think that that you have your wits about you and that you don't have damage from that. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, that's much a miracle, too. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the biggest miracles, uh, because he's telling me I'll be fine. And then down the hall, he's telling my husband and my family that be prepared. If she survives, she's going to be a vegetable. There's too much damage here. So oops, God fooled us all. So, and I'm so grateful because the exacting nature I have as that want to be 
or would have been an architect is with me when it comes to my intuitive sight. Now, it's developed over the years. So a lot of people come to me for a lot of different reasons for consultations. But one of them I'm best known for is for medical uh, intuition. It's uh, what I call integrative medical intuition because I integrate a lot of different modalities and I always refer my job as an integrative medical intuitive is to assess, discern, report to my client and then refer them to the appropriate people because legally I'm not a physician, I'm not a psychiatrist, I am a minister, but you know, non-denominational doesn't hold a lot of water, but it covers a little But I refer people to their physicians all the time because they need help, many of them. Mm -hmm. You know, a vitamin is fine, but when you have a tumor that has an aggressive internal structure of the chemistry, and this is one of the things I do, I'm blessed with this site that allows me to go in and see the particulate matter of colds, COVID, viruses, bacteria. I can tell the difference between a bacteria and a virus. And these are my- but that's just intuitively. It's No, I see them in my mind. I know where oh. they are positioned in the body. Wow. So when somebody comes to me with cancer, what I help them with is just to help calm them for one and just be that compassionate voice and guide for them and and listen to them. But also I can track the directional movement of things, such as if I go into a cell structure and look at DNA, organelles, mitochondria, mitochondria, things like that, but particularly if there is a cell structure that has chaotic chemistry inside, that's like my first little flag, like you need to go see a doctor because this is where cancer is in my perspective, the chemistry gets very confused and then it gets chaotic and then it starts to spread to other cell structures and then it blooms from there. So I track the directional movement of not only interior cell structures, but tumors in general. And people come to me post-op, pre-op, things of that nature. And, you know, the accuracy from whatever comes through me is pretty accurate. I, I don't, I take ownership of what I do. I'm accountable for what I do and my words and what I say. And I'm very mindful about that. But I speak the truth. Why not? What else would I do? And but it comes from something bigger than me. And Mm. it's it's not a job I thought I'd have. Do do you deal with a lot of skeptics? You know, I used to in the beginning, but I've been doing this for 40 years and I've never really marketed myself. It's, hey, I'm an integrated medical intuitive. I'm an author and I speak and and do all of that. I've been asked to speak at conferences with some of the more leading spiritual teachers, but I never advertise myself. It's always word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And at this stage, it's 140 plus countries around the world. I'm thinking of like skeptics. So I'm thinking of a scenario and, you know, if I was, you know, if I was suffering like you, you're how you were suffering and the doctors weren't getting it right and you knew something was wrong, but nobody was helping you. I would think that would be somebody who'd want to call you and say, can you help me? Because nobody else seems to help me. But yet when you maybe give them a hint that their loved ones might be like, what are you doing? You didn't know what you know, there it's more, it's not so much the people that come to you, it's the people that surround them and say, stop, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about and I really don't have feedback from anybody that is where loved ones are that skeptical. And you know, the proof's in the pudding. I show up, do what I'm guided to do, share what I'm shown. And, and it, the results turn out to be what they are. You know, I talk to people pre-op and say, okay, the tumor's this way, the tumor's that way. The surgeon, I look at the surgeon. They ask, I ask for the surgeon's name. It sounds funny, but this is what I do. I sit, put my mind's attention in the center of the surgeon's brain, look through their eyes. That allows me to check their eye-hand coordination, their intelligence, their level of critical thinking skills 
marbled with their intuitive faculty because that's the best combination. And their kindness to the patient when they're under anesthesia on the body. Those are the major functions that I check when I look at anybody who's operating on anybody, on myself included. You know, not that I've had a lot of operations since then, but anybody I work with for my own self, I'm always assessing people, but that's what I do for others. And then the reports come back and it's, oh my gosh, the margins are exactly what you said. The tumor was exactly in the place, the exact same site. So they give me feedback and that's great. That's nice. But I don't expect feedback, but it it comes back, you know, and my perfect no, there have been a couple of misses. There have been a couple of times where I have chosen not to reveal exactly what I'm seeing because I know they were going to see their doctor within an hour. And I coach them, just go see your doctor. This is going on. This is a point of concern. I need just I'm so supportive of you going to your doctor because legally you know, that's my position. Again, assess, discern, report, refer. That's what I do as a medical intuitive. Now, you didn't have, and it doesn't sound like you have, You it sounds to me like you're very medically, you you know the terms, you Mm -hmm. are very scientific in the way you explain things, but you're not a doctor. No. So where did you get your, how do you, how did you obtain your knowledge? Is this just over time and experience working with people? It's working over over time, of course, but it's also working with some physicians, MDs, traditional MDs. And for instance, I was, my, my client was a doctor. The person who referred them to me was a physician, Cornell trained. And So I was going through their large intestinal tract and I was noting these structures that were as, to my vision, as big as a thumb. And there were thousands of them that lined the colon and they had fluid in them and it was inflamed. And so I reported that to the client and I, because I had the client's permission and she wanted me to report back to the doctor, I reported back to the physician and he just you know, he said, I know exactly what this is. He said, these are microscopic. You have to have an electron microscope to see these. These are the lymphatic sacs within the colon, and they're filled with lymphatic fluid because this person has leukemia. So I didn't know what I was looking at, but I saw it clearly and reported it back. So sometimes that's the case. And when it's the case, then I go in and look at medical data, just so I understand what the heck I'm looking at. Because in the beginning, I didn't know exactly what I was looking at. I had general knowledge of biology, but I didn't have the intricacies that I felt I needed because I was seeing them. And so I needed to be able to explain to clients so they could explain to their doctor whatever language they wanted to use. They didn't have to, a lot of them don't say, I saw a medical intuitive and they said this, so you need to do that. That's not the way we work. They go in and say, I'm not feeling well, will you do a test on this and this? And then there's the results. Mm, And then they're under good care. And that's mm. the most important thing to me, that people aren't afraid to go to the doctor or their healthcare provider to get the health help they need. Mm. They have to. Yeah. I just started thinking of that show. It was a movie. Oh, I was little. You might've remembered it, but it's, they got into a ship and they went through the human body. What was that? Yeah. The journey of something. I think it was called the fantastic voyage. It was oh. a little submarine, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna say the thousand leagues under the sea, but you're not in the sea. You're yeah. in you're in a body. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of like what, a little kid. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, yeah. it's interesting because I can't see medical stuff without fainting, like blood, and I'm like, <laughs> but when I think about that movie, it was more. It didn't seem like bloody or yucky. It seemed fascinating. And so I imagine that's kind of what you're seeing, because I was going to ask you, doesn't you you get kind of like nauseous or? (laughs) It's it's such a great question. And it took me like 20 some years to realize that 
I can look at a heart and be inside the cells of a heart and watch the electricity and the blood move through the different valves and veins and arteries. Doesn't bother me a bit. But if I would see that on TV, I would turn the channel. There's just no way. And so when I told a friend that, his name is Scott, and he's a a burgeoning author and a healer in his own right, somatic healer. And he said, well, Laura, there's Laura, and then there's the Laura. And it's true. There's that part of me and there's a part of all of us that is driven by that bigger part of us that isn't our personality. It's the soul of what we are, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it's not afraid of anything because it knows the trajectory of what's going on. And that's... Yes, that's where I live most of the time, except yeah. when I'm grocery shopping or, you know, doing, <laughs> you know, I'm just a normal person yeah, from the was, Midwest, you know? I was going to ask you a question, but then when you said grocery shopping, I thought, are you ever in a situation where you're next to a stranger and you know something's wrong? I have had that in the past and I've learned to disregard and set myself up for this is my zone. Yeah. I'm just going to live my life. But yes, I feel things all the time. Yeah, and see, that would be and hard. Not, not my. It's really not as hard as you think once you make a decision that it's not yours to deal with in the moment. Because I, yeah. I think it's totally inappropriate to say, hey, you don't know me, but you should get to your doctor. Unless I am guided, like an angel just shoves me into some position and says, you need to tell them this. I never go there. I never cross that line with another individual. People find me when they need me. And I've always lived in that manner. I love that. I love that. Because that would be hard to, you know, but I can see that how that's totally the right thing to do. Yeah, I've seen people where I'm standing in a line at Starbucks or something. And I see a big mole on their like the back of their leg or the back of their arm, something that looks really concerning to me. And I've been like, I should say something, I should say something. And I'm, I never do. And it's kind of this, probably the same thing. Sometimes if it's like that, if it's something that's really obvious mm-hmm. and you can't help what you see and feel as an intuitive human being, and we're all that way. And it keeps us safe and it keeps us aware and on track when we listen. And If there's something like that, I'll just say, hey, you know, God, just whisper in their ear, send an angel, send somebody into their life that they know and trust that will allow them to go seek the help that they need. I love that. We can all do that. Yeah. Yeah. If we all have a sense of something or see something, yeah, we just ask for them to get receive help from elsewhere. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is amazing. I love that. So you have some more interesting stories. So this was, of course, the big one, but this totally set you off on a new direction. I imagine there was some healing to be done. You had brain surgery. So did you never go back to school for your degree in architecture? No, I can't because I can't do calculus. I can't. I did try a a beginning algebra class when I did go back to school because I wanted to test my brain. I wanted to see where I was. And I was at Indiana State University when this occurred. So I went back to school probably a year later. And because I had hair then, they shaved. My hair was long like this. They shaved off. I look like Yul Brenner. I have a scar that goes from here to the top of my head all the way to the back because they took this whole section off. Oh my God. Operate. I know. It's just like God is amazing. Life is amazing. Never discount anything that crosses your path because there's somewhere there's a miracle in there. Somewhere there's a message in there. Mm -hmm. And the messier our lives get, to me, the more messages and miracles are in there. Okay. Yeah. So I went back to school and I took both design and I took economics because there isn't a lot of mathematics and economics, but I had to take both left and right brain courses to see where I was cognitively, critically thinking wise. And I got a 4.0. And then I went back to Ohio State a couple of years later to work on a degree in anthropology. And that was great. All 4.0s all the way through. But this is when I took a beginning algebra class and I had to take a language class and I can't see my own language, let alone 
see a foreign language and learn a foreign language. So I was getting a D in foreign language. So I dropped out of school and I just haven't been back yet because it's now they let sign language be a a language, a foreign Mm -hmm. language. So I'm probably going to go back because that's something just for me. I want to get a degree. And I have a degree in um, holistic health and medicine, a bachelor's there, but that's not enough for me. I'm, I was raised by, you know, lovely, compassionate parents. And we're all, we all want to achieve as much as we can and see and experience as much as we can in our life. So that's never going to stop for me. Yeah. And so, so I went back and, but to your point, something you mentioned earlier, when I was recovering, I kept hearing this message that I was going to work within the medical context, but outside of the medical field. And I didn't know what that meant. And then all of this unfolded. So when your listeners hear messages that don't make sense, pay even more attention to those and wait for them to unfold. Don't try and pull it apart and make sense of it in the moment because there's more to show up. And that's where the miracles and the synchronicities come into our lives and what we call coincidence, but it's not. It's just the, mm-hmm. the next step on the path. So always listen to the ones that confuse you the most, write them down and just wait for it. Yeah. So it sounds like that was before you had the medical, the near-death experience. You had that. No, that was after. Oh, that it was, was after. after. It was yeah, after. Okay. Was so after. I'm glad I asked that because yeah. it seems like you didn't, like when God said you have to go back or, you know, you're needed or whatever it was. Yeah. Did that, did you? question what does that mean like why i mean i would think somebody like you that went through that would be so curious about why did i get saved why am i here why did i come back and maybe that's where that came from that message but it seems like you still didn't do it you just went about your merry way and oh i'll do anthropology or i'll do whatever (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is. Yeah. 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 And it it came, this work came slowly because that, that's pathway to work in the medical context, but outside of the medical context did not make any sense to me whatsoever. And what I did about two years after the surgery, I decided to open up a landscape, um, architecture company and do landscaping and lawn care because I could draw bushes, right? I could calculate an arc of flower bed. And so I would go to people's houses and I could feel their energy and what they wanted in the land and everything. And so I'd create these designs and they were just so happy about it. But then my marriage started to fall apart and it was falling apart anyway. And I was tired of putting duct tape on it, if you will. And so I sold the company we moved around a little bit more, but I knew I had to leave my marriage. I knew I had to. And it took probably 10 years. And it sounds like I waited too long, maybe for some people, but for me, I didn't. Because I would chop wood, carry water through every day. And I am a very optimistic person, but not naive. Okay, there's a difference. And so I just watched, I paid attention, I did what I needed to do. I opened up a wholesale beauty supply store at one point in Indiana, and then had two of them on Whidbey Island in Washington, because we ended up moving there. And then we moved to Phoenix. Every time I wanted to start school, he wanted to move and change jobs. So I just, okay, here we go. But I knew. Plus you were raising kids. And that's Plus a raising factor. Kids. Mm-hmm. I mama bear needed to protect her cubs all the time. And I wanted to just keep some form of continuity. And I would occasionally say, okay, is this, is it time? And the answer was no. And then I would start organically asking almost every day, is this the day? No. Okay. Is this the day? No. Okay. And then it was, is this a day? Yes. And on that day of yes, that's when I said, I can't do this anymore. I want a divorce. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a hailstorm. Of course, it's not an easy thing. Mm -mm. But that's when my life changed. And let me give your listeners a little tip here. 
I, I, in, I felt in my heart what I knew I needed to do with my work. I was already doing my work. I was starting to do speaking. I was writing my first book. All of that was going on in the late 80s and 90s and early 90s. And I created a recording in my own voice about my life that I knew I was going to live. My I wake up every morning and my house looks like this and I'm so happy. I can't believe I've left what I have left behind. My children are fine. They're in college. We're doing great. I'm doing this. My healing work takes me all over the world and all of this kind of stuff, about 20 minutes repeating things over and over again in my own voice with enthusiasm and clarity and self-compassion and excitement for my life. And I'd listen to it at night when I'd go to sleep because my husband worked nights for the airline industry. So I'd listen to it at night, just fall asleep with my own voice telling me how my life is. That is amazing. I love that because that is exactly what I tell my students to visualize. And so many people don't because they don't think it's possible. And I love that example because it came all true. Yes, it did. It did within eight months. And you got to realize, I we didn't have much money. We were paycheck to paycheck people living in a town of 2000. It was a lovely town. Denison University is there. It's an upscale little town of 2000. But 2000, not much money. Where am I going? I was at Ohio State then working on the anthropology degree. And I did this. And within eight months, I'd left the marriage. It was tough. It was tough. And I was then being flown to Singapore to work with the foreign, former foreign prime minister on his health. Now, how can a woman (laughs) buried in a little town in Ohio suddenly get propelled to Singapore? It's because I said, my healing work takes me all over the world. And that wasn't an egoic thing. I closed my eyes and I said, God, just give me what I'm supposed to be doing. And the words came out. And so I would recommend that as well. So did you have that? Like when you said, God, what is it? And I I love silence. Just we spend too much time in noise. And so you get these thoughts and these ideas. So is that an idea that came and you're just like, I'm going to just record this? Yes. Yeah. It was all so amazing. All spontaneous. You know, having the privilege to die and live again, the door didn't close for me between heaven and earth. And Mm. if you've ever been up in an airplane and there are clouds above you and then the sky and then the clouds below you. I kind of live in between where the sky is in between Mm -hmm. heaven and earth. And I, you know, it's not a static place. I just move back and forth all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think we all can, I know we all can. I'm not that unique. I've had unique experiences in my own life. Everybody's had unique experiences. And the most important thing is to trust yourself and trust that connection that you have to that source, whether it's God or Buddha or Kermit mm-hmm. the Frog. You know, it doesn't matter yeah. what you call it. It's that divinity that's in us that's connected to the larger divinity, the yeah. source from which we all come. And Not, it just everybody, uh, what I love about your story is, and you have this near death experience, which is a great story, but. Everybody doesn't need to have a near-death experience to be connected, right? But what I love is you're so normal because you had it, but it's not like you had any insight. You still went about your way to live in a marriage that you weren't happy with, to underestimate yourself, to do the things that you thought you should do, but maybe weren't completely aligned with you. And that's what we all do for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, what you did with leaving your marriage finally is Mm -hmm. you walked towards Mm -hmm. who you were meant to be. Yeah. You couldn't be who you were meant to be in that life. And it was when you were brave enough to step into your real authentic self Mm -hmm. and trust that because, you know, you say the money thing, that, that is a total thing of I trust that 
it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And then you get flown to Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it just started. It just yeah. blew up from there. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, like I said, in the very beginning, I don't advertise. My work has been shared from sister to sister, from brother to sister, from mother to son and daughter of cousin to cousin, aunt to aunt. It, it just, it's just shared. And, and I think it, that's the way it's meant to, right? No, I, I agree. When there's, it's, yeah. there's not the marketer in me. <laughs> if you look yeah. social media, I think I have 17 posts on Instagram. Well, and I think we, we think that we need to do all that. Yeah, I just it's all it's the heavy not, lifting and the pushing and the boulder and up the hill and I'll never get there. And it just I love stories like yours because it shows that it's it, it doesn't have to be hard. You just have to walk towards the light. Yeah. And that's, that's the right. light here on earth. That's your light. It's the uh, yeah, such a yeah. great story. Yeah, and I was dancing around all of it. When I had the landscape company, I was reading the land and the people in the house, and I designed something based on where they were, you know, psychologically, emotionally. And when I had the beauty supplies, the people would come in, and I'd know exactly what to give them and encourage them. And, you know, I didn't read them and say, oh, you have to do this and do that. I didn't give them instructions. I supported the gifts I saw in them. And that's one of the best things ever. And you can do this. Anybody listening to this can do this for yourself. Take a moment, breathe, close your eyes, get in a quiet space, go into your heart. And you don't have to see inside the cells of your heart, but go inside your heart, your physical heart, and just hold there and breathe there and ask to hear, see, feel, or know your own gifts, your unique gifts, and how, if you're going to get a how, ask for the how, and you will eventually, believe me, you'll get how am I to share them with the world. You'll get those answers because when I'm working with clients, I love going into looking at somebody's heart because I've run into the gifts, the talents. Are you a writer? Oh, yeah, I've been working on a book for 10 years. I think it's about time you finish because it's in your field and it needs to be, you know, or you're an artist. What are you doing being a lawyer? God love you. Mm -hmm. And then they're off doing photography, you know, after they heal the inflammation of the heart. So it's all right here. That's so true. I am a lawyer because that's what my parents wanted me to be. There you go. Yes, but yeah. I bet you're a good one. I bet yeah. you're a good one. Now look what you're doing. You're sharing light. You're sharing the light. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's so great. Thank you so much. We I could talk oh. to you longer, but we have to cut it to let people go and kind of digest this because I think this is really useful information. What would be the one action? I mean, you said lean into your heart pay attention, look at your heart or visualize your heart, I guess, take a deep breath and ask questions. Is there anything in addition that you would like to leave the listeners with? I think the most important thing is to really listen to the urges, the directions, the sometimes disturbing feeling inside, because that is the truest part of you trying to wrestle some space so you can hear it, so you can really feel it. And many people who are so empathic where they feel everything, they get so overwhelmed that their own wisdom gets diffused. So get out in nature. That is the easiest way to find your own true nature, right? Really trust yourself. When you do, I tell you, miracles just happen. Yeah. large, whatever, but trust, trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think what came up for me when you said that was for me is I avoided wanting to be quiet and get messages because I knew what it meant. Understood. And so I think what the message is that I need to convey, because I think that came up so I could say this is if you are afraid to listen, then you will never find what you're here for. You have to know if you really are going to do what you're supposed to do while in your time here. I'm so glad you found it. You're, Me what you're too. Supposed to do and it, yeah. And the thing is, it finds us. It's right there. Yes. And then we have to say yes. 
it's scary to say yes to things that are outside of the norm of what we're expected to do or what we expect of ourselves. You can just go for it. Mm. Life is short. It's precious. Oh my goodness. It's so precious. In the yeah. time we have here, we never know. Yeah. We never know. So just dive in and trust yourself and, and go live the best life you can. Yeah. Just Thanks so much. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. I knew I would, but it's been phenomenal. And so you take care and keep doing what you're doing. I will. You too. You too. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into the Living Your Spark second half podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my Not Your Average Grandma YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at notyouraveragegrandma. If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.